Keep us and guide us and lead us and make us more like you so we can be uh, that miracle to the world around us, God, that so desperately needs you to break through supernaturally to them. And so, Father, this morning I ask uh, for your supernatural strength and love and power to pierce our hearts, to give us open hearts and open ears and open minds to the word that you've so carefully delivered to Pastor Joe today. We pray for him. We pray that uh, he is bold and courageous because we know that your word uh, is swift and powerful, God. And so we thank you uh, for him. We thank you for the gift of your word this morning. Um, Give us humility and grace uh, and open hearts and ears to hear from you today. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Good work, team. Good morning, everybody. Um, It's good to be here. I'm Joe Davis. I'm one of the members of the Shepherd team here at Grace Life. And uh, we're continuing in our series on 1 John, going through uh, that book chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We start chapter 4 this week, and the title of the message is Avoiding Spiritual Scams. So let me tell you what happened to me on Wednesday. Uh, As you know, Wednesday Wednesday was a day that we celebrate candy. And so... I went uh, trick-or-treating with my niece and my nephew and a couple other kids from the church were there and we were going through this neighborhood and uh, you know what you do, right? You walk through and you look for the houses that have a light on or they have some sort of like a pumpkin or something or some sort of decorations, right? And if the the house is pitch dark, you know that's a sign that says, we don't like kids. So you stay... (laughs) You stay away from that house, right? But if a house is well lit and they've got, you know, pumpkins and and not scary witches, but nice witches out on the lawn or whatever, you go there, you know, there's different, sometimes people, I guess a new thing now is they just put the candy out on the porch and they just say, take one, which of course everybody obeys that. They just take one. But it was getting near the end of the circuit. I like to call it the Halloween circuit, where we go around the neighborhood, and people were getting tired, they were getting worn out, and it's about time to end, right? But I have a couple of the kids that are with us, they like to run, and they want to get one more house. And so what do you do? You look around, if we have to pick one last house to hit before we go in, which one would you hit? Well, obviously it's the one that spent two or $3,000 on Halloween decorations in the front, right? They got a blow-up doll, you know, that's going like this, and, you know, they've got, like, uh, all kinds of lights, and they've got pumpkins, and they've got everything. It says, Happy Halloween, right? So that, that house is going to have some chocolate candy, none of this, like, sweet tart stuff. They're going to have, like, <laughs> almond joy, you know, and stuff. <clears throat> so, but it's a block away. So I say, okay, tell you what, the kids that still want more, let's run to that house. It's like a block away, and everybody else is kind of tired. They're walking. Some are in a baby cart or what do you call a stroller, right? So the stroller, <laughs> baby cart. <laughs> so anyway, I say to the kids, all right, let's see that house with all the lights on. And Yes, well, that is a surefire place for candy. So let's run ahead. So we ran ahead to this house. Boom, booking it. Man, I beat them, too. It was fun. They were like four or five, but I was in front. Boom. And we get to the house and we run up to the house and it's beautifully decorated. But on the front of the house, they have all these police line, do not cross, yellow streamers across. And it said, happy Halloween. Our treats are next door. (laughs) That's okay because they're probably having a gathering because they're clearly their neighbors. So we go next door and there's a sign that said, 
our treats are next door. That's the trick part. (laughs) They got me. And I turned to the little kids and I said, and I saw the look on their face. There was a little bit of concern. And I said, kids, there's no candy here. (laughs) What? Yeah, we got tricked. We got tricked? Well, Pastor Joe got tricked. (laughs) Have you ever been scammed? Maybe you posted something on Facebook that looked really good for your political side only to find out, oh, that was fake news. (laughs) Have you ever taken a passionate position in an argument, whether it's theological, political, sports, whatever, you thought you had the data, you thought you had the information only to find out later you were dead wrong? You see, as a Christian, it's important that we're able on an individual basis at any moment to be able to recognize truth versus untruth. The ability to discern what is true and what isn't is a crucial skill for every one of us to have. Because frankly, the church cannot afford to be incompetent or dispassionate when it comes to discerning truth and also defending it. And it's not just the pastors that have this responsibility. It's you as well. This is why we teach the Bible the way we do it, Grace Life, history, theology, devotional, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so you can understand concept upon concept how the Word of God is put together and what it's saying. But sadly, often people in the church can't discern or even know when to question things that they ought to. And when that takes place, people in the church become vulnerable to deception which brings discouragement, pain, and sometimes it takes years, literally years, to overcome bad teaching, especially when it gets ingrained in the ethos of a church. That's the idea we're going to look at today. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Let me read this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false trick-or-treat houses, I mean false prophets... Have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. I should say is not. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God. For whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So historically speaking, here's what's going on. John wants to make sure that people in this church don't get fooled again. And so what he does is there's a couple of things he does. First of all, I want to bring the idea that John lays out this concept of moving forward. Here, let me explain. John has been trying for the last three chapters to undo the damage and discouragement done by the people that were teaching bad theology. For three exhaustive chapters, he has been empowering them and encouraging them and motivating them with an affirmation of their faith. He has been using undeniable, tangible evidence that he has seen 
in their life to show them that they have it right and that the Spirit dwells in them. He now gives them the authority and the way forward to keep this sort of spiritual malaise from ever happening again in their midst. So that's the moving forward part. He has spent, a lot of people preach 1 John as, this is what you better look like here if you're, if you're a believer. And that is really not the spirit of 1 John. The spirit of 1 John is, I know you're a believer because here's why I see all these things in you. That's what the whole point of 1 John was. So that is now to the point where he says, okay, I've encouraged you. Now I want to empower you. Let's move forward. And then he identifies the source of the problem. He explains to them, that in this discouraging spiritual, emotional condition that the church had found itself in, the reason was the false teachers, the Gnostics, as we defined very well for you over the past couple of months. And John makes it very clear that humans may be the hands and feet of bad truth, but they are not the beginning of where bad truth comes from. He says that. He says it's false spirits that are the culprit, it's demonic sources. Forces of spiritual lies and evil that permeate the philosophy and values of the world. In fact, John explains it is a natural thing for the world to embrace truth that is not from God and to embrace truth uh, and not embrace truth that is from the, the apostles, the disciples, Jesus himself. And he says their truth comes from the father of lies, from darkness. And that is the source of what has caused all this trouble. So here's what I'm telling you, church. Don't trust every spirit, even if they say they're from Jesus. He says, because the world is now full of anti-Jesuses, antichrists, people who preach a false gospel, a different gospel. They'll take the gospel of Jesus and put a twist on it like the Gnostics did. He says, it's a natural thing for the world to embrace this over the gospel. But then the third part of the history I want you to see is he talks about the fact that even though their concepts are very alluring, they're powerful, they have a lot of money behind them, they're very appealing, all those things are true. What he says is this, I know for a fact, and I've been telling you for three chapters that you have overcome the evil one. I've been telling you for three chapters you have what is very evidently the spirit of God abiding in you, and you will overcome the source of this untruth. I have proven to you that you have the spirit abiding. I've given you tons of evidence. And I want you to know something. He that abides in you is greater than the force of evil that abides in the world. It is the reason that although others have left, and he addressed that earlier in this book, although others have left, you have remained. And the reason is, is because the spirit abides in you. It's actually kind of a restatement of what he said earlier. Do you guys remember in chapter 2 I had this sermon I preached where John actually wrote a hymn? He wrote a song in 1 John. It was 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 to 14. I'm going to read it to you. And see if you can remember this. We preached about it. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Then he starts over again. I'm writing to you, little children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know who, him who is, come, who is from the beginning. And he says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. He says to children, young men, and fathers, twice, I'm writing to you because I know that you are children of God. 
I'm writing to you because I know the spirit abides in you. I'm writing to you because I know you've overcome the evil one. And when he writes this, it is written in a poetic form. It is written like a poem with stanzas. And it was really a hymn. I do believe that he wrote it as a hymn for this church to begin to sing together when they gathered. And John says to stand with confidence, knowing that even though these truths are very alluring and convincing, the spirit that is in you makes you grace experts, which we talked about a few weeks before, with the divine ability to discern if someone is teaching something that is true or something that is destructive. That's the history behind this passage. Look at the theology or the spiritual aspects. What about God? What is he doing? I want to talk a little bit about absolute truth. The peace and comfort of being Christ followers, you may not realize this, but it is founded upon the fact that you believe there is absolute truth. Here was what I had, had in my uh, social media campaign. A few more likes this week. That's good, but you need to step it up a little bit. I want a few more. How about some shares every once in a while? Would that be too much to ask? You know, Spiritual concepts are never neutral. They're either from God or evil. It's crucial every Christian to be able to discern which. Here's what I can tell you about truth. It either comes from God or it comes from demonic sources. The father of lies who was a liar from the beginning, the scripture teaches us. Here are a couple of passages. One is from the Gospel of John that John wrote. This is what Jesus said. You are, of, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. In other words, his own natural abilities, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And then what that understand, what understanding that helps us understand is what... Uh, Paul says in Ephesians, he wants us to know that when we hear it from people, it's not really people. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. You may be able to withstand them in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. What we learn from this is this, that everything we hear comes from one of two sources, God or darkness. And the darkness comes from the father of lies who's very good at lying. And what we have to understand is when we hear false teaching, when we hear untruth, when we hear false theology, it's not the people that are the genesis of it. It is the spirit world. The spirits of evil and darkness in the world are permeating and sharing these truths. So with that in mind, while I want you to understand there are absolute truths, we have to know how to discern what is true and untrue. I'm going to give you a quick checklist that we can see in Scripture about the initial test. Some simple, quick ways for you as a church to be equipped and learning, know how to stand firm and be ready to determine whether somebody says something that's true or not. The first one, who do they say Jesus is? Look in here, the doctrine of Jesus. If somebody's giving you some spiritual stuff, first question, what do you think about Jesus? Do they believe he's fully God? And fully man? Do they believe that he died for our sins? Not as an object lesson, as some churches teach, but actually had to die for our sins. Do they believe he resurrected? Do they teach that he's returning? 
Do they teach that Jesus is the only way, truth, and the life to be connected to Heavenly Dad? If they are missing any of these, reject their truth because it's from the father of lies. Very simple. What's their teaching about Jesus? Is he fully God? Did he die for our sins? Did he resurrect? Is he returning? Is he the only way to heaven? Very simple. If they reject any of those, well, he's a way, but not the way. Sorry. Love you, but I'm not going to believe what you say spiritually. You know, another way to test the truth, what does the lifestyle of those teachings say? See, we should look to see evidence that they have been regenerated, made new, a new creature, old things passed away. Are their values any different than yours? In verse 5, he says, they're from the world. They speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. What I'm trying to tell you is this. If they don't live as though the Spirit abides in them, then there is no Spirit in them, and therefore they receive their words from the Father of lies. Is there loyalty to God's people? Is there righteousness in the way they live? Is there integrity in how they operate? Some people actually can get the Jesus part right, but the life part is completely wrong. And then the last initial test, do they believe in absolutes? Moral absolutes, spiritual absolutes, and yes, even scientific absolutes. Like, for example, there's a bunch of people on the internet that I've learned over the last few years that say, well, the Bible teaches the earth is flat. Well, that's ridiculous. The earth is not flat. You guys know what I'm talking about, these flat earth people. Well, that's not scientifically absolute, so clearly you don't know. You know I'm not going to hear you. <clears throat> See, here's the point. Truth is absolute even if man wants to deny it. Do they embrace the concept of absolute spiritual truth or does that concept of there is an absolute truth, does it repel them? Does it offend them? Do they run from it? Does it make them recoil? Like, for example, I think uh, nine out of ten of us in here would agree, I'm just kidding, all of us would agree, that murder is wrong, correct? Whether it's on earth or Mars. Or whether or not man lives in a culture somewhere on the earth that says murder is okay. It doesn't really matter what cultural norms say. It doesn't really matter what man's opinion is. Murder's wrong because murder is wrong. It's an absolute moral truth. Murder is wrong. No matter what man may think, well, yeah, murder is wrong, but... <laughs> rejection of a moral absolute is the rejection of... Think about this now. Make this tie. Rejection of a moral absolute is the rejection of an absolute creator or designer of truth and the universe. It is basically saying truth is what man wants it to be. Truth is subject to man's opinion. Here's the problem. Without absolutes, right or wrong, truth or untruth is based upon opinion and circumstances, and that's it. It becomes a relative exercise, right, determined by the intellect and emotions of the humans and what they're going through at the time. It becomes an unstable foundation tossed about by fashion, by opinion, and by circumstances or money. People want to believe in absolutes, but of course we don't want to be stupidly dogmatic. I think this is why some people feel uncomfortable with the idea of absolutes. Because it thinks 
I mean, we think maybe people think that we know all the answers, and we don't. It actually takes humility, I think supernatural humility, to trust the idea of absolute truth, knowing that we still need to diligently seek to understand them because we don't know it all. So you can believe in the concepts of absolutes without thinking you have to know it all or act like you know it all. That's why one of the things we do is we want to study. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has, not, who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So let me give some examples of people who would not fulfill these three tests. The Gnostics didn't fit any. They rejected Jesus. They had a horrible lifestyle. And they rejected absolutes. Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. They have a great lifestyle. They embrace absolutes, but they got Jesus wrong. Then there's the rich TV evangelists. They profess Jesus. They believe in absolutes. But their lifestyle says, I love the world more than I love you. And by nature, absolute truth will always point to an absolute God. If it gives man any credit or any role, it's a lie. Truth always has to glorify its creator. So that's the way to understand if you know and can discern truth. Now, let's talk about the personal side of this today. I want to talk about he who is in you. We're going to spend just a little bit of time on this. Look, I know that the responsibility that you have of discerning truth can be intimidating. A lot at stake. But John is teaching this church that has gone through a lot of turmoil and trauma. Listen, you have all the tools you need to carry out this important job. And he explains why. The first thing I want you to understand is the spirit that abides in you. He's talked about this abiding spirit all through 1 John. The spirit that abides in you draws you to truth. I love this verse in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 25 to 27. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Then he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. The Spirit, guys, listen. If the Spirit abides in you, it will draw you to truth. And not only that, the Spirit not only draws us to truth and to Him, but in return, along with that, it draws us to His people, where we receive instruction and encouragement and accountability. So as the Spirit draws you to truth, it's not just that thing you think of as the book or the Bible. It draws us to that, but it also draws us to people who embrace the book and the Bible and the truth, the absolutes of God. It draws all of us together to the same centrical place, which is Jesus Christ. So the first thing I want you to understand about he who is in you is he is going to be constantly drawing you to truth. There are hundreds of verses in the New Testament but I just wanted to pick that one. Because there is safety in numbers, by the way. The idea that you say you can be a Christian and not be around God's people, that's silliness. Because if God is really drawing you to truth, then you will, by nature, also be drawn to others who are drawn to truth. The next thing about he who is in you and how we can make sure that we overcome spiritual scams, the Spirit gives you discernment. 
See, its constantly abiding presence creates a pattern of use and trust. Let me look at Hebrews chapter 5 for you, verse 12 to 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the gospel or the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled, in other words, unpracticed, unused in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained. Hear that? Powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. There are two types of people in the world when it comes to spiritual truth. Those who think they know it but don't use it. And those who know it maybe even don't know too much, but what they do know, they use. This verse is not about somebody that really understands the meat of God's word, really gets into the Greek and the Hebrew, and you can, you know, uh, diagram sentences, and you can, oh, the theology system. That's not what this is talking about. It's very simple. Those who are mature are those who hear the truth and apply it constantly, all the time. Maybe they only know three or four, but man, they're going to use them. And their ability to discern good and evil is made stronger as they continue to practice and use it. So the Spirit gives you discernment. Its constant and abiding presence creates a pattern of this. And then the last thing the Spirit, well not the last thing, but in this outline, the last thing the Spirit does is it seals your heart. And this is the most important one. So the Spirit draws you to truth, the Spirit gives you discernment, and then it seals your heart. Look at this verse from Paul. Man, I love this one. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Isn't that awesome? So all of us have had those moments where you, I'm not sure, but something doesn't seem right about what they're saying those moments. Have anybody had that? Like you hear somebody teaching, that doesn't sound right. You know what that is? That's the abiding spirit in you that is drawing you to truth, that is giving you discernment and sealing your heart. I was talking to Pastor Daryl this week about the sermon. I talked to him each week just to kind of check to make sure that I'm kind of going right. He's kind of like my theological accountability partner. And, you know, um, he's enjoying Philadelphia or Pennsylvania, by the way. He loves you guys and wants you to know that. But he was telling me a story about his grandparents. They weren't theological geniuses. But he said, I was over their house one time and, and some, some Mormons came to visit, nice people. And they were talking and, and they were just talking about the Mormon church and about Jesus and their, their view of Jesus, which is not the same as the gospel of Jesus. And, and uh, they were very polite. And at the end, he, he watched his grandparents. They were just shaking their head. Okay, well, you know, and the, and the, the, the visitors left. And Daryl said, you didn't say anything. What do you think? They go, well, we didn't really say anything, but man, something just wasn't right. That's the spirit that abides in us. And it is, that instinct is the first line of defense against false teaching. That seal that he just placed on our heart. Because what happens is regeneration, when God saves us and makes us alive, regeneration creates a passion for and a devotion to truth. We are given supernatural instincts to know when something is fishy. We can look at the lives of those who are teaching and hear their words and know right away something doesn't quite add up. 
Now listen, there are times we may temporarily be led astray on some issues. But the abiding spirit always pulls us back to truth and to his people. And so, how can I kind of bring this together for you to give you something to leave with so that you're encouraged like what John was trying to do with his readers? I put this up here. The abiding Holy Spirit equips us with theological instincts we can trust. You may not ever thought of yourself as a theologian, but you are. And there are natural instincts within you that the abiding spirit of Christ that dwells in you, that has made you a child of God, that has taken you out of darkness into light, that has transformed you. He that began a good work in you that will be faithful to complete it until the day of salvation. He who has sealed your hearts with the Holy Spirit. He has given you, Christian, theological instincts. Of course we don't know everything. But there is an abiding spirit in us and those around us that gives us discernment that we can trust. Sometimes it manifests itself like this. Hey, I heard this guy say this today. What do you think about that? Yeah, I don't know. That doesn't sound right. Well, let's ask so-and-so. And all of a sudden what begins to happen is you have these people who have all been drawn to the spirit and you've been drawn together. You're able to say, what about this? And you're able to test and discern these spirits and determine whether or not they're true, whether or not what they're saying is demonic or whether or not it's spiritual, whether it's helpful or it's harmful. But it is important for you to understand this. All of you are on the front lines, whether you like it or not. You have to know. You have to be able to discern. The good news is the spirit abiding in you does the work. It will draw you to truth. It will give you discernment, and it will seal your heart. And you can trust your theological instincts. So, Dad, when we think about all the things that are out there trying to distract us, designed to discourage us, we're so thankful that through your grace you have this abiding spirit implanted in our hearts that guides and directs and protects and draws us closer to you, keeps us together. Father, we do ask that you would make us ever more aware of your never-changing presence. Lord, we ask in our prayer that you would do what you promised, that you would draw us to truth, that you would draw us together to one another. You would give us discernment. You would show evidences of our heart being sealed by the Spirit of God. And you would allow us to trust those theological instincts. In Jesus' name, amen.